The Elephant in the Room series we've been doing, I heard it's been giving some great responses. We had it on sex. We had it on morality. We did two on uh, pornography. Last week we did it on anger. And today we're going to do it on racism. Race relations in America today. Of all the guys on the staff that could have did this lesson... <laughs> but for sure, my heart up here is to give God honor. However, we talk about this elephant in the room. So even as I'm up here, I hope that you're praying for me and your spirit as we talk about it. The race relations, the reality of race in everyday life. Some things that you'll see that touch this subject, you'll see people talk about because of a particular race, maybe there's a chance of a likelihood that you'll be poor because of your race. Maybe because of your race, it would deal with the safety and cleanliness of your neighborhood, of your particular race. Maybe because of your race, there's a risk of being a victim of violence. Because of your race, the likelihood that you'll be stopped and searched by the police. Because of your race, there could be a risk of you going to jail for a lengthy time in, in prison. Or maybe even because of your race, it says something about your life expectancy. We're going to have a picture up here of my family. That's my family right there. Now, let's say we, we judge the book by the color. We look at the race up here. Let's say we look at that little girl right there and go, ooh-wee. That little girl right there, more likely, you know she's going to be in a nasty, filthy neighborhood. Look at her. That's probably the way she's going to grow up. I can tell by looking at her. What about the little boy there? Oh. Oh, for sure in the future, he's going to get stopped driving the car and pulled over by the police. Look at him. Just look at him. But what about the woman up there? Oh, for sure, she's going to be poor. Well, you're rich spiritually, baby. You're rich spiritually. <laughs> and what about the daddy up there? Oh, for sure, that dude going to have many times behind bars in jail. Look at him. I can just tell just by looking at him. When it comes to race and relations and reality of race in America, in the world today, people can look at you and make a statement, a judgment of that's what your life is going to be like, just going by the book on the cover. I would hate by somebody to look at my family's picture up there and put a stigma on who we are because of your judgment. Of course, when we deal with the elephant in the room, the scripture we've been using to address such topics as this, that is the elephant in the room, the Colossians 4, 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. Definitely, definitely with this elephant in the room, to even talk about it, there's going to have to be some humility. If you're going there all prideful, that is not going to be a great conversation. There's going to have to be some humility. There's going to have to be some grace. Because there's going to be mistakes made. There's going to be some accidents. There's going to have to be some learning. Grace is going to have to be applied. And truly, if you want the real answer to it, there's going to have to be truth. There's going to have to be a look into God's words, God's perspective, God's heart to see how to deal with this elephant in the room. Salma Hayek, the famous Mexican-American actress, she's quoted saying she took the time to speak on another subject she's passionate about, racism in America. 
we have a big problem. I think that this is the big elephant in the room because there were many years where people were saying, oh, racism is over in America. And America is very inclusive. And I think in the last couple of years, more and more, we're realizing that this is a lie and there's a very big problem and we need to deal with it. I'm heartbroken by the hate and racism this beautiful country that stands for freedom has not been able to overcome. Salma Hyatt, the Mexican-American actress, this is what she said about it. We can look over at Sean Penn. At the 2015 Academy Awards, he made the statement, man, who gave this dude a green card? In reference to the Mexican director Alejandro Gonzalez, I can't say that last name, <laughs> winning the Best Picture Trophy at the Academy Awards for a movie the title is funny, Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Could that not apply to racism? Many came to Penn's defense saying it was just a joke between friends, but others didn't take kindly to the actor's tongue-in-cheek treatment of a serious issue that has affected millions of families. The director himself brushed off the criticism saying he thought it was hilarious, but Daniel Jose Alder said, I don't care about his reaction, it's irrelevant. I'm happy he's not offended, but that doesn't change the rest of us have to deal with this racist stuff. How about Donald Trump? I'm just reading this. This ain't me. Let me make it clear. This ain't me. I'm just reading this. <laughs> Donald Trump has already planned to take back our country. We caused a rapist, murderer, job stealers, exported from Mexico. He's full of ideals. He repelled 11 million immigrants and their families and let only the good ones back in. He would restrict legal immigration and oppose a national job verification system so that everyone, citizens too, would need federal permission to work. He built a 2,000-mile border wall and forced Mexicans to pay for it. Latinos, do not attack me. But... How do we talk about immigration? What's the perspective on it? Could a perspective be, hey, this is my country. I was born here. My people from here, this is us, this is our land. I don't want y'all coming here and take from me what's mine. That could be a perspective. Is that right or is that wrong to protect what you feel like is yours? Or could it be another perspective of, I'm here doing jobs that you won't, don't want to do that benefit you and you'll treat me like I'm less than I'm a human? I have a wife. I have kids. Can I raise them? Can I want better for them? Could that not be a perspective? Is that right or is that wrong? You know, I have like my Persian brother, Masood, over here. Masood is a, a, a taxpayer, a businessman, a good man. And you have a hang of Masood, he's a, he's a good man. But because he's from the Middle East, I've never been in your shoes, Masu. I don't know what you've been to when it comes to being a Middle Eastern hen that's doing the right thing and how someone might treat you because of that. Unless I'm willing to have the conversation with you and understand, I never know. Kate Brown is in here somewhere. No, I know in elementary, little kids can be the, the most cruelest. They can be like, oh, look at me, man, I'm Asian. Look at me, I'm Asian. But I heard in China, you can go there, there's a, a billion Chinese going, look at me, man, I'm American. Look at me, I'm American. <laughs> And it's even funny when it comes to racism, sometimes like, can I joke, can I not joke, what's offensive, what's not offensive, what's right, what's wrong, what's bullying, we just don't know. 
I know Simi Valley's here today. Don't think I was going to let you guys get away with not being today. Back in the day, Simi Valley, there's a man from Bakersfield, and he came to set up a Ku Klux Klan rally in Simi Valley, right outside the East County Courthouse where the trial of Rodney King was going on. His group came to show support for L.A. police officers on the acquitted all but one charge of the policeman that dealt with Rodney King. Now, if I was a black man, which I am, <laughs> and back in that day, if a real estate agent said to me, hey, look, I got some houses in Simi Valley. I'm going to take the KKK rally. I'm not going to Simi Valley. What's wrong with you? But in 1999, Simi Valley was voted the safest city in America. Which is it? Is it a racist town where the KKK is at? Or is it the safest city in America? Which one? Now, when it comes to white people, you guys have actually taken the, the blunt of everything that has to do with racism. Every TV show, every news article. Most of the time, your, your kids have no idea about any of that stuff. And you probably don't either. If, you, if I had to ask you about your ancestors or some kind of racist, you don't know. For the most part, we've, like Martin Luther King said, we've had black, white, Latin living together. Yet white people have had to be on eggshells about racism. Do they deserve that? Really? I don't, minorities, maybe some of us are teaching our kids, hey, you know they're the man, watch out for the man. But what, the, what does that mean? Why do white people have to always take the blunt of every racist thing? Why are they at the top of the food chain? Because some of us are just as racist, if not more, when it comes to white people. But yet they get the blame all the time. Most of like the white kids today going up in school, they hear the N-word, but it's a friendly thing. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? And that's what they're used to. Now, let me give you caution. If you say that to the wrong person and you get knocked in tomorrow, <laughs> understand that is the elephant in the room. I would tell you, just do not go there. Don't use the word because it's an elephant in the room. Be wise. But white people shouldn't have to get blamed for everything that's racist. Someone asked the question, how do you eat an elephant? Someone else answered, one bite at a time. I don't know who eats elephant or thinks they can eat it all. I never have and don't think I would have the taste for one. Who wrote this menu anyway? When it comes to racism, you can feel like you have the easy answer to this. Maybe it takes a little bit at a time. Or you can say, you know what, why are we talking about this? There's no hope for this. It's going to always be that way. For sure, the beginning of scripture, if we're going to open up this discussion, there's going to have to be humility. There's going to have to be grace. And there's going to have to be truth. Now, I myself, black man born South Carolina in 1968. I think we got a picture of, my, of me somewhere up here. That's my boys right there. That's how I grew up. I grew up in Spartanburg, South Carolina, in an all-black neighborhood. And this is my yard right here. So in my hometown, it's a black part of town, and it's a white part of town, and it was little Cambodia, and it was little Vietnam, and that was it. Actually, I had never seen a Latino person in my entire life. And until I came to California, I said, oh, that's what a Latino looked like. <laughs> I had never seen you guys. But the way I was raised, my dad 
Vietnam veteran, came back, drunker than drunk, all kind of drugs. My mom listened to every single thing my dad said. She was like his servant. So even if my dad beat me to a pulp when both my eyes are black, my mom didn't do a thing. But my parents would tell me, you know, don't drink, don't steal, don't curse, don't do drugs. I didn't listen to any of that. Me and my crew, we were the worst of the worst. But this is the way, I, this was my neighborhood. This is how I was raised. I didn't know any different. Now, the one thing my parents did say to me that I did listen, they said, do not trust white people. Don't trust them, don't be around them, and don't try to act like them, or you are Uncle Tom. And I said, I will listen to that part. And the violence I have done against white people is horrific. For no reason at all, there's been white people that I've robbed. There's been me out of boredom sending a white person and beat them up. I even had a guy hit one time. He goes, what did I do wrong? And yet I could have said, this is for all the injustice that were done to my black people in the past, all the slavery of the past. None of those slaves, none of my ancestors are going to be like, I feel so much better now that you've done this. <laughs> none of them. It was wrong. That's where I was raised. In school, I went to Fremont Elementary. There ended up being such race riots at that elementary, they shut the school down. Elementary! Why elementary shut down because black and white kids are fighting? But that's why I grew up. They, you can look it up. It's, 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 it's historical. It's factual. They shut down that elementary. Fremont Elementary, Spartanburg, South Carolina, because of the race riots. In elementary. So I ended up being shipped to Spartanburg High School, which is in a white part of town. I'm like, oh my goodness, what are you guys doing? And somehow, someway, I don't know how this happened, but I ended up having a high English class. A high English class for me. And I was the only black kid in that class. So what do I do? I sat in the back, and I sold stolen candy bars and sodas. I had backpack, I came to class, I didn't listen to nobody. But when the teacher wouldn't pay attention, everybody came to me and started buying all the stuff. I'm like, I'll take all your money off you white people. But one day, I'm walking out of class by myself. Got my, got my two bags of stuff. And there's a group of white boys walking behind me. And there's a guy named Trent. And I hear this boy say, something smells. It smells like the N-word. I dropped my bags immediately. Last week, I did a thing on anger and, and turned into the creature. I turned into the creature on that kid. I beat him to a pulp. Now, if you come right down before God, God says, which of you are right, which of you are wrong? Trent can say, he hit me first, he's wrong. I can say, he said the end wrong word, he's wrong. Before God, we're both wrong. And I don't know how he was raised. Maybe he was raised where he said, hey, no matter what you do, don't trust black people, don't try to act like black people, don't be around black people. Maybe that's the way he was raised. And we're just both wrong, and we just don't know any better. We both could have used a lot of humility, grace, and truth. Finally, I come to California. I'm invited to church, and I study the Bible. Look at that slide. The good-looking black man is bald-headed here. That's Charles Brooks. The guy in the middle that's on my shoulder, that's Bob McCullough. Both black men. And then I got Ganeshwar. He's an Indian. They invite me to church and want to study the Bible with me. I go, oh, hey, two young black brothers. Go to church. That's good. Hey, I got this Indian over here. 
Now, the only thing I knew about Indians was I saw a movie called Mississippi Masala. And I went, I don't know if I can quite trust him. He's not white, but I studied the Bible with him. <laughs> and I ended up becoming a Christian. Heard the word of God, believed it, repent, confess, get baptized. Now, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a good one. Let me just say that, not a good one. Because right after they baptized me, the next thing you know, switch up. I'm having to hang with these white boys. I don't have a job. That's not a race thing. <laughs> Jeremy Chair ended up being my boss. And I can't stand that white boy. I got my camera who don't have the glasses and this white boy right here. Where's he at? Stand up. Stand up. Where you at? Stand up. Joe Collins and my camera. Roommates. Roommates. I never lived anywhere near white person. I grew up in an all-black neighborhood. I don't know nothing about white people. I get baptized and go, hey, these guys need to be your roommates. A two-bed apartment right over here at the Warner Center. And I had to share a room with Joe. <laughs> and the minute, and Joe, you know this is true. Lynette knows it's true. The minute I walked in the room, the, I opened the door to the apartment, had like my bag, and Joe goes, oh, you're here, Garrett. Great. I have it set up already. In this room, this is all mine right here. This closet, all this, all this is mine right here. Hey, I have a space set up for you right here. You have no space right there. no space. And I said, Mom and Daddy was right. <laughs> don't like them, don't trust them. Definitely ain't gonna act like them. And then, little down below me, the man with the glasses, a minister, Ron Hammer. He just walk in our apartment door, and every day he would come in and he'll go, So, Gary, are you being prideful today? Gary, you been prideful today? I got sick of hearing, Gary, are you been prideful today? And I hated all of them for passion. Humility, grace, and truth. In humility, I'm a Christian now, and I cannot have the same view I once had. With grace, Joe, I forgive you. Give me that little space. <laughs> but they had to learn to be a lot of forgiveness up in there. And the truth of God's word is that we are brothers in Christ. It's not color lines here. It's the, the blood that flowed through us is Christ's Blood. The Mason's brothers. And now, Jerry ended up being the best man in my wedding. I got the glasses. We almost had a fist fight once. Ended up being the best man in my wedding. Uh, Joe was a groomsman in my wedding and we're the best of friends today. Ron Hammer did my wedding. And Mike was the guy who Joe had to pull me off of many a time by fights with one of my best friends today. <laughs> A black man in a white man's world. But it was all good, baby. I don't regret one moment of it. The truth part 
God himself had to change that because from my upbringing, my experience, what I was taught, no way that this guy would have been the best man in my wedding, groomsman in my wedding, my best friend, no way in the world, doing my, my wedding. But we're going to dig into the truth part in Romans chapter 2. Let's pray before we dig in because we're going we're to have to pray for this one. Let's pray. Father in heaven, definitely an elephant in the room. Definitely years, centuries of hate, misunderstanding, bad teaching, bad perspective, godless, not knowing, ignorance. And Father, I pray at this moment, if anyone is offended, that the scripture of James 1, 19, quit to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, can apply. I pray if anyone can relate, they can look at it and think of how they can be better. And if someone's all for it, God, I pray that they become an advocate of fighting racism and shooting for brotherhood and for the gospel that you preach to us. I pray, God, in my sinful nature, which I've already made clear, that you remove me out of the way, God. Let your name be honored. Let your truth be spoken. Let your spirit be shown forth today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. In verse 5 there, he's talking about because your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself. One day real judgment is going to come. Real judgment. And you can look through history, and you can look through time, and you can find situations when it comes to race and feel like, that was a bad judgment. That was wrong. We can find slaves that were mutilated. We can find little young black boys that put in the literature that we were either a man. And you can say, bad judgment there. This is wrong. We need to fight this. I'm telling you. You can feel like someone got away with something. No one has got away with nothing. Nothing. We can go through the history of injustice and look at all these bad things that have happened, but God is going to recognize it one day. They did not get away with a single thing. They may feel like they did. Hey, they didn't catch me. Hey, I didn't go to court. I mutilated this person. I hurt this person, and I got away with it. No, they will not. God will judge it one day. Sometimes you look at those situations, though. How can a little black boy be put in a ledger chair. He can't even sit up in a chair. You got to put a box there for him to sit. The mask won't even sit on his face. I believe that God will always find a way to work things out. Maybe that little boy, because of his upbringing, because of his, uh, his uh, not, not having a lot of education, maybe he wasn't even accountable when he got electrocuted. And he went straight to heaven after that. You can see him trying to fight for the justice for that little boy. That little boy said, hey, that was bad here on earth, but I'm in heaven. What are you fighting for? Why are you over here trying to get revenge on me? Don't get revenge on me. God's going to go back and get whoever did wrong. 
anybody that feel like they got away with it, they will be begging to, to face man's judgment. Oh, I thought I got away with it, but I got to do God's judgment? Let me have man's judgment. You'd rather have man's judgment than have God's judgment. They ain't got away with nothing. There's no reason for you to be angry and have to go back because God's day of wrath will come. At the end times, all false judgment will be dealt with. You can look at anything that's in You can look at uh, Nicole Simpson and go, oh my goodness, why did that happen? Somebody can say, well, that's before all the things you did in the past. No, judgment's going to come to who really did do it. You don't, you, don't, you don't have to go after it. No one is not going to get away with anything. In any situation that we look at that have to do with racism, and you feel like someone got away with it, they did not. And you don't have to fight for it. Maybe it, it hurts you. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's clear to you. Maybe you feel like you can't do nothing about it. Maybe you try to do something about it and you go about it the wrong way. Don't do that. Know that there is a judge that sees all things. No one's going to get away with it. In verse 6 and 7, right there in Romans, it said, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Well, you have to understand when it comes right down to it, your race will not save you. Your race will not save you. You can say, la rasa all you want. But that race is not going to save you. You can say, well, I'm the black man. I'm the first people, black power. That is not going to save you. You can say, well, I'm the white man, Aryan nation. That is not going to save you. It's no group of people by the race is just going to be saved because of their race. The cool thing is, if you do good to all people, white, black, Latin, Asian, Middle Eastern, whoever they are, that actually could be more proof of the faith that you have in Christ. Because when we come right down to it, it's faith in Christ that's going to save you. And when someone comes to a room like this, and it's not just a black church, it's not just a white church, it's not just a Latin church, there's no ghetto up in heaven, separate church. When they see all of us, all of us in together like this, someone can walk in and go, wow, glory to God, look at this. I, don't, I see people mixed up. I don't see a black section. I don't see a white section. I don't see a Latin section. I don't see a Middle East section. I don't see black people sitting in the back. I see us all together right here in Rush is one. Someone can come in and go, this is proof right here. This is the proof. This is the real deal. This is a church that I can worship with because we're all together. There's no separatism. There's no favoritism in God's eyes. Your race ain't going to save you. It's faith in Christ that will save you. And by us worshiping together like this, this could be proof of who Christ is. In verse 9, it says, But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. I say that to you, and you say, okay, God don't show favoritism. God don't show favoritism. God don't show, show favoritism. But when I walk outside this church here, even though we're all together in black, white, Latin, whatever, when I walk outside, it's going to be different than what you talked about. So the question is, do some races see privilege over others? 
Do they? The answer to that is yes. Yes. Uh, Greg Dunbar just told me he was in China. He was like the only white person there. And he definitely felt a difference of how he was treated because he was the only white person in China. In that situation, there was some favoritism of race over where he was at. So you will see it in some situations on this earth. You'll see it on this earth because we're humans and we're sinners. But God himself does not show favoritism. And that's the thing to be fired up about. If you get here and you be all angry, all mad for racism here on the earth, and you feel like you got to dedicate your whole life to it, I'm telling you, you're going, you're going for the wrong fight. That is just the wrong fight. If anything, God will want your heart to be like his heart. Maybe people here on this earth have some privilege. Maybe people on this earth will be racist. Maybe they treat people a certain way and give them a certain expectation because of race. But that's not what God does. So you will imitate the world and get angry and do what the world does and walk around bitter, trying to fight a fight that you're never going to win? Oh, you look at God's heart and go, no, God's heart is there's no favoritism. We are all brothers in Christ and we go after that. That's the thing to get excited about. Which gives you the next question. Is it possible, is it possible that racism could be an opportunity? It's an opportunity. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, if you will. Philippians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I'm just going to say that one more time. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace, guard, and everyone else that I am in chains with Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I have put him for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains, what does matter, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Several times in here, he kept referring to brothers and sisters. In church before you this morning, when we talk about racism, I want you to understand in this room, we are brothers and sisters. In this room, it shouldn't be, well, that's the black Christian, or that's the white Christian, or that's the Latin Christian, or that's the military. We all in this room are brothers and sisters. When we talk about this elephant in the room, before I, you dive into it, before you have an opinion, understand this more than anything else. In here, that we are brothers and sisters. And that's the way we're going to approach this. Is it possible that even though we are brothers and sisters out in the rural, racism exists? as a chance for us to advance the gospel? Or is it to hurt the gospel? What do you think? Is, does racism hurt the chance to advance the gospel or does it advance it? Paul was in prison. Who wants to be in prison? Who wants to be in jail? I don't want to be in jail. But Paul looked at it and said, I'm in jail because this is going to be a chance for me to glorify God. 
Maybe racism is opportunity in some form, some fashion. Maybe you don't know completely. Maybe you you completely understand it. But if you don't, if you quit to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and you think about it, you can say, wait a minute. Maybe this is a chance for me, brothers and sisters, for us to advance the gospel. Maybe individually when it comes to racism, that's a chance for you at school, at your job, in your neighborhood to take on racism directly in that way, by the way you behave. Individually, when it comes to racism, will you make sure you bring humility, grace, and truth? That's the way to deal with it. Not your anger, not your proof of all the wrongdoings that have been done to your ancestors or to you, but to approach it with humility, grace, and truth and say, maybe this is an opportunity to glorify God. Maybe it's an opportunity. Again, it says, brothers and sisters, proclaim the gospel without fear. When we go out here and you know that the world is not a perfect place and you want to advance the gospel, don't share with only white people because you're white. Don't share only with black people because you're black. Don't share only with Latin people because you're Latin. Because you fear racism. Because you don't feel comfortable with another race. It could be an opportunity to unite this West Hills, this Canoga Park, this Woodland Hills, this Simi Valley, this San Fernando Valley, this state of California, this rural. You could be part of the solution and not part of the problem. You could be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Brothers and sisters, that's what we are. You could bring Christ out of love Rather than fall for the elephant in the room. Rather than just saying racism is what it is, I'm going to be treated a certain way, I just can't deal with it, and done. You can walk out of here thinking, listen, again, look around here. Look around here. Just look around the room. This is precious. When I first came to church, as racist as I was, as racist as I was, as much as the only churches I basically went to was black churches, I came here and I saw this. I went, wow, this is wonderful. This is great. And now some of my best of the friends and been guys I never would have wanted to be friends or my best friends. It makes me want to go out and, and share with everybody. Everybody. Everybody I come across. You know why? Because we all need Christ. Every last one of us. My charge to you is do not fall for the right and wrong or racism. It is so easy. Even for us as Christians get caught up in that fight. And I said, let's not get caught up in that. That's what the world does. For us to think Christ, not racism right and wrong, for us to think for the love of Christ. Because they can say, black man, white man, who's right, who's wrong? Asian man, black man, who's right, who's wrong? I can say, Christ is right, be brothers. Christ is right, be brothers. The answer is always going to be Christ. But you, brothers and sisters, are the example to preach it. Because you're doing it right here, right now, this Sunday morning. It can be done. We're going to finish in Genesis. I one scripture, two more scriptures. I wanted Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
God made human beings in his image. We are made in God's image. And because we are made in God's image, we are worthy of honor and respect. You might think of yourself less than, but because you're made in God's image, every last one of you, you are worthy of honor and respect. And because you're made in God's image, you are not to be murdered and you are not to be cursed because you're in God's image. And God, when he made us in his image, he said to us, hey, because you're in my image, rule over the fish in the sea, rule over the birds in the air, rule over the livestock, rule over the wild animals. But nowhere in there, he said, because you are black, rule over the Latinos. Because you are Middle Eastern, rule over the whites. Nowhere in there did he ever say you one race rule over another race. Nowhere in there. Not one spot in there. Look for it. You won't find it. Somebody may try to look at the Bible and find something to try to, 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 to change it. But God said we rule over the lifestyle. We rule over the fish. We rule over the birth. But not each other. Not the races over the races. That's not what God set up. We'll finish Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion that make my joy complete by being light-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, And if one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but each of you the interests of others. God wants us to be like minded, He wants us to work together, He wants us to be of the same love. He wants us to be a one spirit. He wants us to be a one mind. I don't know if you look at a Sunday like this and see how precious, how wonderful it is, but it isn't like this across the country. I live in South Carolina. I've seen racism there in a way that most of you guys probably have not. I went to Minnesota and I, and I saw white churches and different other races churches. I'm coming to California and God sent me to all these different places. Before I come here and I look at this, I go, this is precious. This is the way God wants us to worship. No selfish ambition that you try to put one race down to elevate yourself. No vacancy to think you're better than somebody else. Not only to your own interests. Not only to your own race. What God will want you to do is go after the race that matters. The human race. The human race. Let's look at what we have here that's precious. Let us not put stereotypes on people. Let us not make inappropriate jokes. Let us not get caught up in what the world get caught up in when it deals with this. Let us out of humility, out of grace, out of truth, approach the elephant in the room in such a way that we honor Christ and we give him glory, become the family he wants us to be. God bless every last one of you. <laughs>